0: You're listening to Locally Sourced Science. Your connection to the scientific discoveries happening in the Finger Lakes community.
1: locally sourced science. It's August 20th, 2019, and I'm your host, Patricia Waldron. As much as I hate to admit it, it's that time of year when summer is coming to a close and students are getting ready to go back to school. All students face different challenges during the school year, but transfer students can face additional hurdles. In this episode, Candace Limper will be talking with Dr. Avery August and Dr. Melanie Reagan about the Howard Hughes Medical Institute Cornell University Research Transfer Program, or CURT, which helps transfer students at Cornell University to gain vital experience in undergraduate research. Also, later on, I'll talk with Erica Herman, an energy educator from the community-supported campaign Get Your Green Back Tompkins, about the different ways to access solar energy in the Finger Lakes area. So, get your paper and pencils ready, it's time to begin.
0: My name is Avery August. I work for Cornell University. And the program that we'll be discussing today is the Howard Hughes Medical Institute Cornell University Research Transfer Program, or HHMI CURT.
2: So what are the goals of the program?
0: The goals of the HHMI CURT program is to increase the success of uh, life science undergraduate students who transfer to Cornell. So Cornell has a, um, an ability for students who attend community college for two years, largely in New York State but also across the country, to apply for entrance to Cornell as a junior. Most of these students take two years at a community college and then they will come to Cornell for the last two years of their undergraduate degree. What we find is that those students, while they're successful in graduating from Cornell and graduate with the same GPA and rates as students who start as freshmen, they're much less likely to be able to participate in undergraduate research. So the goals of the program is to increase the success of those students in getting access to undergraduate research while overall contributing to their success here at Cornell.
2: How many students are in the program currently?
0: Currently, we have about nine or so students in the program. Uh, We have a few more students that are starting in the fall that will increase that number by, by a few.
2: What kind of support is provided for these students? Uh,
0: the program provides an opportunity for the students to come to Cornell the summer before they actually start their junior year here. So if they're coming from a community college outside of the area or outside of New York, we uh, pay for them to be here in the summer, we pay for them to be uh, to work in labs, to find research labs for them. And we have weekly activities uh, and modules to teach them uh, fundamental skills and research. Uh, as well as to do social bonding activities. During the academic year, we'll meet at least once a week with the students uh, in a course that they ed- register for and take. We have a number of different activities, including how to make presentations, how to write abstracts, how to read papers, and also um, providing general support for some of their academic preparation, including arranging for tutoring or arranging for consultation on how they can manage their, um, their time.
2: So what's a desired outcome for the students upon finishing the program?
0: So the outcome for the students is one, to graduate um, from Cornell in a, in a timely manner, that is within, uh, uh, so that they don't take any longer than uh, their cohort. Uh, the second one is that all of them will participate in undergraduate research. The third one is that uh, we would like as many of them as possible to be able to write undergraduate uh, research theses. Uh, and then the fourth one is that they all go on to graduate or professional schools in STEM.
2: So how long has this program been running?
0: program has been running about a year and a half, a little bit under a year and a half.
2: Are there other programs like this elsewhere?
0: Uh, a number of institutions have programs that might replicate some aspects of this, but none of them, none of them provide Actual financial support for the students to join the institution prior to their actual matriculation, so that they can transition and better are better able to um, to manage the, the the move from the community college to their uh, the major institution. There are also bridges to the baccalaureate program that exists that primarily support community college students who are looking to get a bachelor's degree in a STEM field. They're directly supported at the community college. We don't support them at the community college, we support them uh, the summer before and when they get here.
2: So what led you to start this type of program?
0: So the reason I wanted to do something like this is I was a community college student myself. I did the same transfer process. I felt being able to participate in undergraduate research was really important and really assisted and helped to retain me as an undergraduate student. The other reason I started it is in in understanding that Cornell is unique among the Ivy League in having a formal program for accepting community college students and finding out that while those students are generally successful, they're much less likely to be able to participate in research, which in my personal experience was really critical for me. I decided I wanted to be able to enhance their success in getting into research labs.
2: So in terms of this program, where do you see it in the next five years?
0: So we'd like to see the program grow, and we'd like to see the program have, we have room for more students. So we've expanded the majors that are eligible for participating in the program from just biological sciences to life sciences across the university. And uh, we would certainly like to see this program be more institutionalized in the sense that any student who comes here who transfer from transfers to Cornell from outside the institution is able to get access to some of the resources that we provide, including assistance into getting to research labs and mentoring and support to help in their transition.
2: How do you evaluate the success or impact of this program on the students?
0: So we evaluate both on whether we're actually delivering the program that we say we will deliver or is it developed in a way that the students are able to uh, to appreciate and get it. We also evaluate as to what happens to the students. And so far we we haven't had any students graduate yet because we're a very young program. But that will be a major part of the evaluation is how many of the students actually uh, graduate and go on to graduate or professional degrees in STEM. So far, all of the students who participate in the program are all participating in research. Resurg- in and so that's one early measure of success for the program.
2: So what are some of the biggest challenges? Um...
0: Some of the biggest challenges include uh, identifying students who are accepted to Cornell uh, and have the time to be able to participate in the program prior to their matriculation. Another challenge is is ensuring that the students are able to get into research labs in a timely manner because they only have a short time here on campus compared to when students start as freshmen where they have four years. Um, And then making sure that we don't provide too much programming, that we we then affect the students' academic uh, progress in terms of their courses.
2: So what has been the most rewarding from starting the program?
0: Some of the most rewarding things is just seeing the students really form a cohort and peer mentor their their other colleagues in the program. The other rewarding thing is seeing the students who come in who have very little research experience participate in undergraduate research for the first time and really appreciate and enjoy the experience that they really would like to continue and in some cases reconsider their careers.
3: So my name is Melanie Reagan, and I am in charge of the HHMI CURT, and CURT stands for Cornell University Research Transfer Program, and IMSD, which is an initiative for maximizing student development, which are graduate students. The main goals, overarching goals, even though they're two different sets of students, are to provide community and support through research experiences. So the main focus is to provide research experiences for each group of students, but specifically the HHMI CURT students who are undergraduate transfer students, primarily from community colleges to Cornell.
2: Are these community colleges in the local area, or are they all throughout the U.S.?
3: All over the country. We have students from California, students from New Jersey, New York. So how many students are in the program right now? Right now, we have 10 students in the program. And we started off with two, and the program started officially last June. For the undergraduate students, we had two. By the fall, we had eight, and we kept those students, and then we re- recruited an additional three over the summer, and we expect to get more. Okay, so the, the cohort is expanding? It is expanding quickly. Okay. So what kind of support does the program provide for them? We immediately get them paired with a research lab, and we do that because we think that having not only us as a community, the other students that have transferred, but having a research community um, will help them academically. So the first thing we do is pair them with a the research lab. We then meet with them weekly and provide them academic support. So we identify tutoring support, um, whatever it, in, it is that they need to uh, help them academically. And we also provide them with social support. So we provide um, just, uh, let me think, like canoeing rock climbing, things to kind of get them outside of their zone, but also to create more of a community within each other, because oftentimes you don't know what students are dealing with outside of their academics at home, and so you want to give them a place where they feel safe, not just academically but socially. On the undergraduate side, the main goal is to create these support services so that we equalize what they're coming in with, because for students that start traditionally They've already formed their cohorts, their groups, socially, academically, they know where to go. Mm -hmm. Students coming in as sophomores or juniors don't really know where to go. So the idea is that we're here, we give them all of this information, we give them research because oftentimes faculty don't want to provide research to students who need it because they don't have the skills, so it's kind of a double-edged sword. I don't have the skills to get it, and therefore I can't get the opportunity to get the skills, yeah, um, research skills, which makes them more marketable regardless of what they do. Okay. So in the end, we want to make them as successful or more successful than students who have taken the traditional route so that if they decide to then go on, of course we want them to either go on to a professional degree, whether it's medical school or a Ph.D., mm-hmm. but we want to give them the skills and the tools to be able to do that and be competitive. In terms of the program, where do you see it going the next five years? The idea is to make it part of the institution. So right now we're kind of running not independently of the institution, but we are just starting and trying to make it more a part of the culture so that mm-hmm. it just is built in that you provide these types of services to undergraduates so like more support for students that are transferring from community college in the non-traditional route. right and so right now it's just the two of us it's avery and i running it so the idea would be that we would have an office where we could provide support to any student that needs it because students don't just transfer in the life sciences they transfer everywhere Mm -hmm. Um, so the idea in five years would be that we have complete institutional support um, maybe additional external funding, but to um, open it up to more students and have a bigger uh, infrastructure to support the students.
2: So what is a ratio to um, undergrads, um, college or community college students, graduate students? And you don't have any postdocs right now.
3: We don't have postdocs. Okay. We try to engage postdocs because the thing that we want to do mm-hmm. is even though we have our core set of students, we want Any student who's interested and committed to feel comfortable on either side to participate because there's a lot of students that need um, help. A part of it, because we we want people at every stage interacting with each other. And I think that's a unique thing about not just my position, but what we're doing is that we have all of these groups coming together regularly. So you have a built-in mentoring system. Mm -hmm. But it's just the socialization so that you see people like you, either from your state or background, religion, whatever it is, like you doing the same thing, and you can aspire to do that in your own way. Yeah, I feel like sometimes it takes knowing somebody from your background to feel like you can do it too. Right, and oftentimes people get stuck on the visual, but there's so many things that drive people Mm -hmm. to do what they do, and you never know until you put a bunch of people in the room together what that is that's going to drive them.
4: My name is Julio Salas. I come from Queensborough Community College, which is in Queens, New York.
5: And my name is Ayana Dixon. I come from Collin County Community College in Plano, Texas.
4: Found what I was looking for originally was community, and I had expressed that in the interview, and that is what I found, you know, similar people that we could share similar interests and sort of bond over that because being from the city, being first gen, among other things, then coming to an institution like Cornell, you often feel at a place, can relate to people. And so that was like the main thing I was looking for, community. Um, And then, of course, continuing to do research and sort of broadening my horizons as a young scientist.
2: Did you have uh, research experience prior attending the program, like while you're in community college?
4: Yeah. So we did research looking at the effects of deep brain stimulation on Alzheimer's disease at your college and wanted to sort of maybe stay in neuroscience, but also like expand. And the lab I'm in now is sort of neuroscience, but also has a lot of different projects going on, which is very interesting.
5: Piggybacking off of what you said, Julio, I came into the program wanting to feel like a sense of community because it seemed everywhere I turned, it was just people who had been at Cornell from their freshman year. And it was nice to meet other people who were also transfers from community colleges, kind of sharing the same adjustment struggle, kind of not necessarily knowing how to navigate this um, four-year university. So that was nice. And also, I did want experience with research. I hadn't previously been uh, exposed to being in, like, lab or doing lab work. And so being able to be in the program and being able to do research, I kind of found more more of what I was interested in.
2: Do you think that the program has kind of like changed your career
5: trajectory? Being in a community college, it's kind of get your classes kind of done so you can transfer. And so it's, there's not, or at least I didn't have a lot of thought towards maybe anything outside of transferring. But before I started doing research, I wanted to be a vet. And I still want to be a vet. It, I've just altered my path a little bit to more towards large animal vet medicine versus kind of like the general like small animal vet medicine that I'd previously been exposed to.
4: For me, the lab has definitely, so I'm in the affect and cognition lab and that lab has definitely made me think a lot about what I want to do. And so over the school year, we do a project with kids trying to see the effects of purpose and growth mindset in K through fourth grade kids. And that experience has swayed me to pediatrics because um, I knew I wanted to do primary care medicine and really probably family medicine to get all the ages. Um, but through that experience and through a lot of introspection, really, I figured out that kids is like the main focus and the main population that I want to target. And then this summer experience, which has been different looking at differences in cognitive aging among young and old people looking at part of the brain called locus ceruleus. i've worked mostly with the postdoc her name is Lisa riley and she's really made me think more broadly yet more mechanistically in terms of when we're like thinking about research and so she really wants to encompass the whole population in her research and i personally really like that because oftentimes like in my case, being Latino, it could be hard to see yourself ex- in research. You know, most of the time, subjects are probably like Caucasian subjects. And going into the future, I want to really try to get as broad of a population as I can to really, so that could be sort of applied to everyone.
2: What has been the biggest challenge transferring from community college to a school
5: like Cornell? I would definitely say um, workload, because in community college, I was challenged but not at the level i i am here like um taking tests back at community college was more of okay i'm going to study a day maybe maybe two days at max if it was really really difficult um beforehand and compared to here i have to start studying a week or two out from the actual test you have to come in with a different you have to change your mindset like when you get here otherwise you can fall through the
4: cracks the difference in between being a full-time student at community college and being a full-time student at cornell you really embody that you know like you said you could study a bit before and again you were challenged then i thought community college was very hard at the moment in hindsight now not to say it was easy either but it's just the volume the rigorousness the speed oftentimes maybe we're not prepared as much. Like for example, I'm taking physics next semester and it says you should take calculus. I haven't taken calculus. You know, a lot of students have. Um, And so things like that, you sort of almost have to take more steps to be up to everyone else. And that's the hard thing to do. For example, first semester all around was terrible for me. Um, Second semester has been really good and now I'm really excited for this third semester here. Um, And I think also for me being from New York City, the culture, the life, the demographics. You know, I went from being the majority in my community to being the minority. And at first I I dealt with it hard. Now I embrace it. And I'm going beyond just being here for myself. You know, it's my family, friends, everyone else.
2: How has a program's workshop helped enlighten like your education?
5: I would definitely say yes. Each workshop that we do has definitely added tools to my toolbox that I can whip out during the semester.
4: So my postdoc, again, super brilliant woman, I don't know what she doesn't know. And she asked us to do data analysis in MATLAB, which is heavily engineered focus, because that's what she did her undergrad in. And I struggled with it. I mean, I couldn't, I was like, I don't know how to code. The very helpful workshop was the jump workshop. And though that's how I did like data analysis over the summer. And I think it was super easy and it got the job done. And she allowed me to use it as well, because essentially like it was doing what she wanted me to do um so that helped a lot and now i feel pretty good to sort of have that skill even though like there's so many things i don't know about jump to know about jump to be able to use it as a tool when needed it's actually like very nice
5: the r workshop was a wonderful um introduction into coding because i know like intro to like cs classes it says intro but it doesn't mean intro so the r workshop was definitely a nice little kind of Dip your toe in, see see what it's all about, and kind of get the basics of it.
2: Do you feel like uh, a more closeness with the program than compared to the cohort that you're actually in? Definitely, yeah.
4: Yeah, definitely, both with the other fellows and with like people that are essentially like part of Cornell, so like Melanie and Dr. August, which you know, you need, while you need the friends and you need the social support, I think you also need those people being your champions that are administrators or advisors or, you know, program directors that go beyond just their job title.
1: Hello, Locally Sourced Science listeners. This is Patricia Waldron. Lately, I've been bombarded with offers to sign up for solar energy. And while I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to shrink my carbon footprint, the different options were starting to feel a little bit overwhelming. So I sat down with someone who could help me make the best choice for accessing solar energy.
6: My name is Erica Herman. I work at Cornell Cooperative Extension of Tompkins County. And the program I work in is called Get Your Green Back Tompkins. So maybe I've just been
7: paying more attention recently, but it seems like lately there's been an explosion of companies offering access to solar energy. Yes, um, and it can <laughs> it's be, been very popular. <laughs> it can be really hard to sift through like, all those different offer- offers and figure out what's right for you. Um, so first off, what are some things to consider when you're looking at um, what's the best way to get solar energy?
6: Um, so there's actually three main pathways for solar nowadays. So um, different things to look at are, are you a renter or a homeowner? Can you make changes to your property or not? Uh, do you live in an area that's really shady in your home in which solar, you know, having it on site might not be the best option? Um, are you committed to making that kind of, you know, financial purchase, even with incentives? Or maybe you're not sure if you're ready yet. You have the traditional on-site solar, which can be placed on your home. Um, Usually a southern-facing area is ideal because you can soak up all that sunlight and get the energy. Another option can be community solar, which comes in two varieties. So um, there's a purchase community solar option where you can actually purchase panels on a solar farm. So say you do want to have it on your property, but you're in the woods, which is nice and peaceful, but you realize I might not get that much sun. That might be a great opportunity to purchase panels on a farm. So they would do the maintenance and the upkeep, but then you would reap the rewards of having the credits from your solar being used for your home. A third option, which is phenomenal for renters or people who are just new to solar and want to try it out, is subscription community solar. You haven't purchased the panels, you're subscribing to them. And there's usually, you know, a one year, it's kind of like an idea of like a cell phone where you have a general plan of maybe for about a year or so that you're signed up with it. There's no fees usually to sign up for any of these programs. And when you subscribe to the panels and are connected to the farm, any energy that your panels create um, get credited onto your Nicene bill, which would be in our area. So with uh, the subscription solar, um, you have that credit and a lot of the farms are providing a 10 percent or similar discount on the kilowatt hour charge.
7: Sounds like no matter what way you go, you're probably going to save on your electric bill. Yeah, definitely. And how do you find reputable people to install your solar panels or reputable farms to sign up with? Great question.
6: So on our Get Your Greenback Tompkins website, and if you don't have computer access, there's information that we can mail out to your home if that, that works better. We have information on different contractors, whether it's for on-site solar or the farms, There's uh, links to the different websites and phone numbers. And usually I'll also provide information for consumer kind of protection questions. So you can ask different questions about the farm and find out which one is the best fit for you.
7: And I understand there's a program called Solar for All for people who need help with their energy bills.
6: Yes, it's actually an excellent program. So a lot of people are familiar with the what are called NYSERDA programs or the free energy audits. So if you're paying into a major utility company, whether it's for natural gas or electric, there's a chance that you can get a free energy audit for your home. The same entity, NYSERDA, who has that program just came out with the solar for all program back in the summer of 2018. So the solar for all program is for houses where energy costs might be more of a burden. Um, They might be utilizing benefits such as HEAP or SNAP Supplemental Security Income or TAMF. So this program enables households to receive subscription community solar but in a bit of a different form. So the way the program works is if the household is approved then they receive on average about ten dollars off of their bill each month for electric costs. Uh, So that energy comes from a community solar farm So it's green, and that $10 is paid through the NYSERDA program. So it's essentially free green energy. Um, And it sounds like one of those programs that's too good to be true, um, but there is a niche that the program found would help a large part of our community, and they tried to meet that need. Um, Another tidbit that I wanted to add in was for subscription community solar it can be a great fit for a lot of households within our community Whether you're renting or owning your home Um, The one thing to keep in mind is it currently doesn't work with budget billing if that's what you have for your electric If you have budget billing for your heating which is like a natural gas that is fine But for electric it doesn't work at this point in time Um, However, if you think you'd be eligible for the solar for all program that does work with budget billing so that might be a great fit and then, obviously,
7: winters and heating are a big issue in upstate New York. Um, what can you do if you have a house that uh, heats using fossil fuels like propane or, or natural gas?
6: That's a really good question. Um, so the first thing that might be ideal would be getting the energy audit. You're paying into it through your utility bill through one of the little fees anyway. So it's something you're more than entitled to receive. If your household rece- is making less than 178000 the audit will be free. Um, so when they come and do the energy audits done by a local contractor. Um, a lot of flexibility is in the program to help you, so you can actually select your contractor ahead of time, so you're comfortable with who's coming in your home. The audit takes about two to four hours, and they'll look at things like, you know, what is your heating system? How is it doing? What are your heating costs? Are they high? Are they low? The best thing out of helping with fossil fuels and heating is getting the energy audit, because a lot of times there are programs that can help support households financially to get airsling and insulation done in the home. So that has a giant impact on comfort and it also keeps the heat within the home so you're not paying to heat the outdoors.
1: Well, thank you so much for talking with us.
6: Thank you for having me, Patricia.
1: So after checking out the options recommended by Get Your Greenback Tompkins, I signed up with a community solar farm in New York State. Now I'm just waiting to be assigned my very own section of solar panels. To find out more about your solar energy options and other ways that you can save money and help the environment, you can visit getyourgreenbackthompkins.org. Thanks for joining us this week for Locally Sourced Science. If you have a question you want us to investigate or just want to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter at FLXScienceRadio on Facebook at locally sourced Science, and on Instagram at locally.sourced.science. Also, we're looking for new volunteers to join our group. If you're excited about interviewing scientists, editing audio, or being active on social media, then we want to hear from you. No experience necessary. Our email address is locally sourced Science at gmail.com. Today's show featured interviews by Candace Limber and me, Patricia Waldron. We thank Joe Lewis, Che Giannotti, and Blue Dot Sessions for their music and vocal contributions. Locally Sourced Science is a production of WRFI, Watkins Glen, Ithaca.